0: Hola amigas, mi nombre es Rita Bautista and I am the founder of the Latina Podcasters Network, a platform created to globally amplify the voices of Latinas who podcast. I started my company because I wanted to hear the voices of my community and my people reflected back into my ears. Well, this podcast is dedicated to all of those dreamers and founders who decided that they also wanted to take a chance on themselves and create something for their community In Empodera Latina, you'll hear stories from CEOs to social media experts, moms, tech company owners, and leaders from across the world that are all Latinas here to share their stories with you weekly. Stay tuned. Hola, hola, amigas. It's Rita Autista here, the CEO and founder of the Latina Podcasters Network, joined by Rosalia Rivera today. She's a consent educator, abuse prevention specialist, sexual literacy advocate, speaker, change agent, founder of Consent Parenting, the host of About Consent Podcast, and child sexual abuse survivor turned thriver turned warrior. Rosalia, mucho gusto, and thanks so much for being here with me today.
1: Thanks for having me. And I have to say, I love how you roll the R's on my name because I usually do it. (laughs) So, yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. It's so exciting to be here with you. Uh, For those of you who had a chance to listen to the episode with uh, Luce earlier, Rosalia and I met through podcasting, but also through um, the Enya Dream Accelerator, which I've talked about a few times on the podcast, but just wanted to give a quick shout out to Denise Soler-Cox, who's always just like an awesome mentor, almost like a fairy godmother. Um, And so if you're listening to this, Denise, if you're not, I'm going to send it to you anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I've met some amazing, amazing Latinas that are entrepreneurs that have created just some... um, wonderful things for our community and creating space for us in spaces that sometimes are very difficult conversations to have. And so you talk a lot about sexual trauma and having consent for your children. So how did you get started on this journey?
1: Yeah, so um I'm I try to talk more about empowerment along with it, right? Because I know that when people think of sexual trauma, the first thing that comes to mind is like a lot of pain, a lot of, um, you know, mental health issues. And while that's true, um, I also want to inspire people to know that there is a possibility to be empowered, to reclaim your power. Um, And I think that was part of what helped me decide that this was really the path that I wanted to take. Um, and it started with really realizing that I wanted to educate and empower my kids and break the cycle of uh, trauma and sexual abuse that was happening in my family. And uh, I it wasn't my first take in, of entrepreneurship, though. I had actually uh, been an entrepreneur before. I had a marketing agency. Um, I had been in marketing actually for close to 18 years and had an agency with employees. It was a brick and mortar. And... Uh, I kind of it kind of came to the forefront where I realized that it wasn't the business that I actually wanted. I enjoyed and loved entrepreneurship, but I wasn't doing it right, and also I wasn't doing the thing that I was truly passionate about. Um, and so, when I had to f- be forced to slow down because of health issues, uh, not just with myself but also one of my children, I did a lot of soul searching. And, um, and it was around the same time when I started realizing that what I had been educating myself about with my kids to empower them was something that wasn't really available to other parents. And so I thought, well, I have all these skills in entrepreneurship and I have the ability to teach because that's what I used to do when I was working as a you know, marketing agency, was really teaching other entrepreneurs how to market and so I had these skills and this newly lit passion for wanting to help other survivors, and I've always been the type of person that like wants to get on a soapbox and like tell people listen this is this is what's wrong, and this is how we can do something about it because I've always been an action implementer and taker. Um, And I thought, well, you know, I have all of these things that I can do and put them together. And that was how uh, the podcast was born first. And then it was, you know, I was trying to get this message out about empowerment and and teaching our kids, you know, about consent. And then it evolved into like all these parents wanting to learn more. And I realized like, okay, I'm ready to step into helping families and then consent parenting was born. And that was, that's really the business element um, where, you know, it became this platform for creating um, programs and, you know, virtual content that could help people, but also um, to support them through community and community building and let them know that they're not alone. So that's kind of how all that came out. And then the third part of my business that kind of sprouted from that was Consentware, which is something that I finally have started promoting this year, um, which has been exciting to, to launch. And, and yeah, I'm just continuing on this journey now, which has been super exciting, super um, empowering. I, I I know I probably overuse that word, but it all has also been really healing, not just for me, but for anyone who connects with my work. And so that You know, keeps me going.
0: How would you define the word empowerment or empowering?
1: Claiming your boundaries, claiming your autonomy, claiming your rights, saying this is what I am worthy of, and saying I will not accept anything less.
0: That's really interesting, right? When we're talking about empowerment and dealing with sexual trauma. And talking about that, right? It's, you know, being able to deal and accepting, um, and re bringing the power back to ourselves to say, "I'm, I'm taking this back." Right? What, what actually ended up getting you into, like, wanting to talk about something so strong, specifically because in our communities in general, it's always seen as like, "Los trapos sucios se lavan en la casa." We keep these conversations to ourselves and we don't talk about them because That's just what we do culturally.
1: Yeah, I think it was just rage. You know, there was like this point that I got really pissed at the fact that people weren't talking about it. And I recognized really quickly that this is what held um, so much trauma within my family to not be healed because people were afraid to talk and no one was willing to do that. And And I was willing to risk being the black sheep. And saying I'm gonna talk about this, and if you don't like it, stop me. <laughs> like find a way to stop me because I am not gonna stop talking. Um, and and just to say, you know, I'm gonna take that courageous risk uh, because I'm tired of being angry about it and and not doing something about it. And I didn't really see, um, you know, anyone talking about it in a really substantial way. I know that this isn't to discredit those who have been doing this work because, I mean, there are so many organizations and people who are in this space as survivors trying to get this message out. But I feel like they've been kind of following the status quo to some degree of trying to talk about it, but on deaf ears. And I was determined to, like, crack the code. I was like, how can we talk about this in a way that is strong enough to actually make an impact um, and inspire people to want to talk about it. So like there's kind of this challenge because, you know, everybody says, oh, you're talking about something that people don't want to talk about. And I'm like, yeah, that's why we need to talk about it. I just got to the point where I realized that if people didn't understand the, the facts, if they, you know, just obviously kept not talking about it, then they weren't aware of how big the problem was. And as I started doing more research, um, you know, just that fire in your belly just gets bigger. And you realize like, I don't care how many people choose to not talk to me within my family or, you know, whoever is just not on board with this, but I am like on a mission. And I want to dismantle rape culture. I want to dismantle shame around these conversations. I want to normalize them. Because at the end of the day, with what I'm talking about specifically, like we're putting children's lives at risk by being afraid to have these conversations. And I'm just not willing to sit back and be silent about it anymore. And so I'm trying to inspire people, motivate them, um, guilt them if necessary to start having these talks. Um, because yeah, you know, we, we are just continuing perpetuating these cycles of trauma and we can't do that anymore. So yeah, I, I'm, you know, whoever wants to talk to me about it, I'm willing to talk about it and, and try to get this message out as, as far and wide as we can.
0: You know, it sounds like at the center of all of this, at your core, you're a risk taker. When was the first time that you took like a huge risk in your life?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I like I was looking back on my life and I'm like, when was it? Because uh, I remember this one time when I went in for this interview at Urban Latino Magazine in New York. And um, it was the first time when I think I was like, what I considered myself to be an adult and just took a risk of going to this magazine that didn't ask me, they didn't invite me, they didn't have a help wanted ad. And I just wanted, you know, I scheduled a meeting with the art director. And I was like, you need a photo editor. And I can be that photo editor. (laughs) It's just like super ballsy to just go in and say, you know, you need this and I can, you know, excel at it. And I had never photo edited before. But, you know, I I was like, I can do it. You know, I I think I think thinking back on it, though, it was it was probably when I was a kid and I never realized it until I started taking more and more risks and realized that, yeah, sometimes I'm going to fall and scrape my knee um but other times I'm going to fly and just being willing to not care so much about what people thought I grew up being taught to care you know and being really uh like taught to be a wallflower and taught to be quiet and not make noise you know calladitas es mas bonita and like I was definitely taught that and I always felt like it was wrong I always felt like it what it just didn't resonate and I as much as I wanted to be the obedient kid I also, you know, got to a point in my teen years where I just became like this rebel and I rebelled against culture, my, my Latin culture, I rebelled against religion, um, you know, and I did get hurt sometimes because that can happen. But I also realized that I was resilient enough to get back up and keep going. And those early lessons, I think, really shaped my early years as an adult and continuing to take those risks kept paying off. And so, you know, I just kept really banking on myself. And I've continued to do that time after time. And, you know, I, I think learning to listen to my intuition has been also really powerful. So yeah, just experience from from childhood and, and just, I think, coming out of the gate, like, no, I don't want to be quiet. I'm gonna, I'm, I got shit to say. <laughs> so yeah,
0: And saying it, you have, obviously, when talking about such a huge topic, right? But how has culture played a role in your life now? Saying that, you know, there were moments in which you kind of stepped away from it. And, you know, it seems as though it kind of plays a part, but at the same time doesn't. So how does it actually, how does it make Rosalia now?
1: Hmm. That's, That's a powerful question. I think it's that I looked at what the cultural norms were and would try them on, right? And I think because I was brought up being forced to wear those norms and realizing that they didn't make me happy, they didn't make me feel good, they really went against my inner core, like, you know, intuition and self and how I suffered because of it, you know? Um, Even to the extent of like, wanting to fit in at school yet not fitting in and it's like well i did all this work to try to fit in and i still don't fit in and i'm unhappy and why what's the point you know and i started to notice that i was doing the same thing culturally um i remember one time because i grew up i you know moved to the us when i was five from el salvador and then really assimilated very quickly into American culture and, you know, being able to speak it, speak English well, even though Spanish was the you know, what was spoken at home, but realizing like, I I can't fit in with my culture, because I speak Spanish very poorly. And I don't necessarily like you know, want to eat certain foods, but then I also really love these things about my culture and also then feel like I'm ostracized by American culture. So just like never feeling like I fit anywhere. And I was like, screw it. Why am I trying to fit? (laughs) I'm just going to just try my best to just be me. And I've always been comfortable with being alone too. So I was okay with cutting ties with toxic people. It was like, well, you know, ultimately what's the point of having toxic people in my life if they're not gonna make me feel good about myself or allow me to be myself. Um, So I think just from a really young age, I was willing to like cut people off in my life. And I think that example actually came from my mother separating from my father and like overnight. Like she didn't tell us that this was gonna happen. Like we just picked up and moved. And I was and and like we were in a in a home where there was domestic violence, there was alcoholism, um, there was sexual abuse, which I didn't even remember until I became an adult and had my own kids. But there was a, it was a toxic environment. And my mom, like had dealt with it for a long time. But then she was like, I'm done. And we just like my dad, I think, went on a trip, business trip or something. And like we took off and that was it. There was no. You know, it was like he got cut off and it was, I think, the first example that was like, oh, you can do that. Like we can we can just leave like you don't have to stay in a toxic situation. And so I think that really early example, I was about 11 years old, um, really showed me that, you know, you don't have to stay in something that is not good for you. And I just kept following that throughout my life. And even to this, you know, to this day, it's like, there's a lot of family members I don't talk to, and I'm totally okay with that. Um, I don't subscribe to this idea that like, just because they're family, I have to be loyal to people that are not healthy in my life. So, you know, that's, that's very against this, you know, this idea of collectivism and cultural norms around that, but I'm okay with being the black sheep, if It means that I'm going to be happier and healthier and pass on happier, healthier people into the world.
0: That's really interesting. Yeah, because I think that a lot of people you mentioned guilting people earlier, and I was like, it's almost like culturally we get guilted into being a collective. And, you know, now, especially with this being Mental Health Awareness Month, it's like, you know. Como que cayendo a la razón. We're finally starting to get exactly what you're saying. It's okay to cut off these toxic experiences. We don't have to continue this cycle. And it, is, it does get a little scary at times because being the black sheep, which I can also put my hand up and say, <laughs> you know, um, I'm one too. Um, but it really does become a little, um, like at first when you're getting past that part, Of I don't have to be part of this, and it's really great that you learned it at such a young age. But let's say there's someone who's listening to us right now, and they're experience they're experiencing that I want to potentially cut away from this because it doesn't make me feel good. What advice would you give them so that they don't feel guilty that they're leaving the communal aspect of being Latina or Latinx?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think that the fear is that I mean, I think it comes from anthropologically like you know at the root core like we are social beings and we're meant to be in community and there's this fear that if you get taken out of that community then you're going to be alone forever and that's just not true because especially today maybe it was true many years ago but we are in a totally different era where we have access to connection in a, in a heartbeat, right? Like we have the internet, we have access to so many ways that we can find community. And I think that that's what's helped to propel so much social change is that we have connections that we never thought we could have before. And we realize that you don't have to stay in the closet if you are X, Y, Z, right? You don't have to live in fear of being completely isolated because there are so many other people that are sharing the same experience. And you just have to search, you just have to look, you have to open your heart to other new experiences that may feel scary, but that's the risk that you take living life. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're gonna you're willing to suffer instead, right? And to me, it's like I'm not I, I feel like we have this one life. And I wanna optimize that as much as I can. I want to feel as much joy as I can. And to me, that means not spending time nurturing relationships that are not healthy, you know, to me, my health, mental, physical, spiritual, sexual is my priority because then I can give that same kind of energy to others. When I am in a toxic environment and a toxic relationship, I wilt just like a flower would when it's not being given sunshine, light, air, you know, water, the things that it needs. Right. And so for me to give health, I have to be healthy. And so I refuse to allow toxicity in my life. So advice is be willing to take those risks because there are people who will come to your aid and they will have your back. And there is community out there that is willing to embrace you and you are not going to end up being alone in this. So take the risks because Again, you have that one life, and you will find your people.
0: ¿Saben lo que me encanta? Escuchar podcasts hechos por Latinas con voces en español, inglés y spanglish. Si a ti también te encantan los podcasts hechos de mujeres Latinas como yo, ve a latinapodcasters.com para encontrar más de 70 podcasts que están hechos por Latinas y Latinx creators como tú y yo. Para más información, visite nuestro website, latinapodcasters.com. What has been one of the biggest lessons that you've had so far as an entrepreneur? Uh,
1: one? <laughs> 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 uh, probably the biggest one is to... Um, whew, let me see. My God, there's so many. Uh, I think the biggest one is to find mentors. Because I think we tend to look at school as like, okay, you go to university and then you have these teachers who give you guidance and then you're done. But then you go off into the world and you're like, okay, I don't know how to figure this out. So I'm just going to like try to figure it out on my own. And meanwhile, there's like all these amazing mentors, which are the same as teachers. And so I think finding someone who can help guide you, who has experience, who you can learn from that is like, first of all, you, you develop amazing relationships, but then also you learn from people that have the experience who are wise. And, you know, it's like those guides, like you think of Yoda, right? Like Yoda was a mentor. Like we need to find mentors in our life that can help us, you know, make those moves that would maybe take us five extra years if we tried to do it on our own and then burn out. And we feel like we failed. But meanwhile, it was like, no, there's this community with this mentor that can like help you get there faster and in a much more supported way and i wish i had done that from the very beginning with my own entrepreneurial journey and i didn't learn that until my my most recent business which is you know where i feel like i finally have stepped into my calling but that was nurtured by the right mentors who said you know this this matters what you're doing is helping people Here's how I can help you make that happen faster or easier or better, you know, and so I would say, yeah, finding a mentor and and not just one, you know I have multiple um, that I think you know are already doing what I want to be doing and have helped me learn how to get there faster
0: so you say you have multiple mentors um can you tell us like Is there a specific mentor for each part of your life or do you have one for like marketing or business? Like how how do you define those mentors and when do you call on them?
1: Yeah. So yeah, I do. Yeah, it's it's basically for different uh, parts. I mean, I have first of all, I have a therapist, which I kind of see as a bit of a mental mentor, um, and so you know, making sure I take care of my mental health. And I have a guide who can help me see past the trees, right? Like I, I sometimes only see the forest, um, and then or is it vice versa? I always get my metaphors wrong, but anyway. Um, and so yeah, I have that. I also have a business coach. I have a marketing coach. Um, I've, I've had other coaches, which didn't work out either. It's like, okay, I learned something from them. But that wasn't like really my energetic vibe. And so I've released them. I've had, um, you know, a mentor who helps me with branding. Um, So yeah, right now, I think I have like three or three, uh, three or four at the most. Um, But I would never try to do this ever again without some kind of guidance and support because otherwise I'm trying to do like too many things on my own and that just burns my energy out. And I want to be able to spend time with my family and, you know, find joy in other things besides just my business. And I used to just be fully absorbed in it because I was trying to figure it all out by myself. Um, so yeah, I, and, you know, I'm, I'm the, I think I was like a course junkie at one point. I was like, I need to learn from this person and that person. And, uh, like went kind of down this like bit of a trap and, and that's okay too. Like, you know, sometimes you just got to test who, who it works with the best and who you can learn from. Um, so I don't regret any of that, but I think, you know, refining, like making sure that who you are working with, you, you vibe with energetically.
0: That's really awesome. I want to take a second to go back to something that you mentioned, that one of your mentors is a therapist. And, you know, I think we're getting better as a culture and community um, of dismantling the issue of mental health and actually being more aware of it. Whereas maybe a generation before, people would say, you know, yo no estoy loca. I'm not crazy. There's no way I'm going to talk to a therapist. I'll never forget my own personal experience when I mentioned to a family member that I was going to therapy. And he's like, but you're not crazy. Your mother is. And I'm like, Mm. that's not nice. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a very big stigma at first. Yeah. And sometimes we do have to be the risk taker. And we do have to be the person that puts ourselves out there to start talking about these mental health issues. And I've, I've mentioned this before, you know, I thrive with anxiety. Now I have had, you know, five years of, of of therapy and taking my happy pills occasionally when I have to, when life gets a little too hard, you know, and, and normalizing the conversation around therapy. But what was that thing that led you to start your journey with therapy?
1: Yeah, it was actually when I was in high school. Um, I got caught smoking a joint. <laughs> well, I actually got caught high, not smoking a joint because I was in the cafeteria. <laughs> and I think the te- the the student aid or the teacher's aid, um, saw me and recognized right away that like something's up and took me to, um, you know, the principal's office. And about a week later, I had to meet with a school counselor and she actually wasn't even, I think she was a school psychologist. Um, and she did this meditation with me, which I'd never done before. And, and she walked me through sort of doing like a body scan and kind of a hypnosis thing. And really, and she recognized early on that, I could achieve what I was trying to achieve with getting high through this other process of, you know, mindfulness and, you know, what I didn't know at the time was like essentially hypnosis meditation, you know, kind of, kind of technique. Um, And that was the first time that I thought like, oh, that's, that's interesting, right? Because to me, the only time that you ever get quiet is when you're praying, right? I was raised like in a Catholic home. So um, and then I in 11th grade, I actually took a psychology class and it was game changing. So I took this class uh, in 11th grade, which is a, a psychology class. And interestingly enough, the teacher who taught the class was considered and like all I think the teachers and the students kind of like behind their his back kind of laughed, like, oh, he's crazy, which is ironic because he's, you know, a, a psychology teacher and he I thought he was amazing. I thought he was like so out of the box with his way of even teaching the class. Um, He always showed movies and kind of like helped us to like dissect what it was. And he showed this movie called Sybil. Uh, It was with Sally Field. I don't know if anybody's listening has ever seen it. But essentially, it's about this woman who has multiple personalities and how this therapist basically helps her Really integrate you know into a whole person and find out where this disassociation happened like w- why was it and it turned out that it was that she had been abused when she was a kid, and it was the first time I remember seeing that movie and it like blew my mind I understood the power of looking inward and trying to understand the source it's like you don't just get crazy for no reason like there is there is something some traumatic event right and it was around the same time that we had my sister had disclosed about what happened with her abuse um, and I just connected these dots and I was like, this explains so much about why she's angry all the time. Like we used to be on pins and needles walking around my sister and it was like, why is she, is she just like angry? Like, you know, and we we came to, I came to terms with this is why, this is what happened, right? And that actually inspired me to actually wanna go to school to become a, th- a therapist, which I ended up going to university to become a, a sex therapist, which I ended up leaving in my third year That's a whole other story. But that was really what introduced me to the idea of therapy and wanting to be a resource for survivors and to see how I could help others because I ultimately wanted to help my sister. And I think ever since then, I've always seen the value and I've always seen the power. And I started going to therapy when I was in university because I was getting triggered and I was actually in an abusive relationship with someone um, who ended up becoming a stalker. And like, I didn't realize that until I went and spoke to someone at, at my college and they were like, yeah, this person is toxic. So, you know, let, let him go. And I was able to make a, a positive change in my life. So after that, I was like, therapy is the way, you know, I will never not see someone if I feel like I need help. Um, and I just wasn't finding that within my culture. So I was like, well, what's wrong with therapy? Like, you know, people say that it's bad, but like to me, it's done nothing but good. So I've just always been an advocate since since then. And I think, yeah, it started in high school.
0: I think now as an adult, I'm starting to realize that the reason why our community and our culture is so afraid of therapy is because they have to unpack all of the trauma, all of the issues, all of everything. And it's like, who wants to go through that journey? <laughs> you know, yeah. I love therapy too. I absolutely love it. However, that that journey is a hard one. And at times, you know, you can revisit it sometimes without even knowing you're getting triggered and all these things. And it's like, you know, everybody wants to live like Celia Cruz, que la vida es un carnaval. And it's like, yeah. I'd rather dance and drink and party than to have to actually confront the issues. And you know, I guess in part now looking back, I'm like, I get it, right? But I also now feel like a completely different person because of experiencing that journey and unpacking the issues and now like identifying and labeling the things that you're feeling instead of running away from them. So it's really awesome that you were able to do that, especially at a, such an impressionable age while you're in college, because that could have affected the remainder of your
1: life, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think most people are afraid of, you know, having to look inward. Like, I mean, even when I started educating myself about abuse prevention when my kid was five and I got triggered constantly by what I was learning and I realized like there's something something going on here. And, and I started, you know, going to see someone because I wasn't really sure. It's like I'm having panic attacks, anxiety all the time. Um, I didn't realize until my like late 30s that I had anxiety. I just thought that I was just dealing with like being stressed. <laughs> and it was like, I'm just stressed. You know, I'm just working a lot. I'm trying to like power through this. Um, I I had a bit of a drinking problem when I was in my early 20s. And I didn't realize that it was just to numb the stuff that I didn't want to confront. Um, and so yeah, I mean, this is not an easy road. But it is the most rewarding one. Because Healing does not just heal you. It heals the people around you. It heals your generation to come. Like, you know, we have come from so much trauma that, yeah, it, it's going to be scary to unpack that, but you're going to become stronger, more resilient. You're going to heal. You're going to be able to empower other people. There is just a reward that comes with it. I mean, we're willing to work ourselves to the bone, right? And do this physically uncomfortable work we have the ability to do this other kind of really uncomfortable work that has much richer rewards. So, you know, I just, I can't ever say enough about it. And like, screw the stigma, you know, like, who cares? I mean, one of the things that I think biggest things I can tell people too is my mom always drilled into me, like, we don't want people to say, right? We don't want people to think, right? And I hated that. Oh, my God goodness, like even to this day, I'm like, I need to show up with my family, like as authentically as possible, because we had to portray this like perfect family. But like behind the scenes, it was the complete opposite. And so to me, it's like, why did we have to suffer through portraying something that was fake? For the sake of what so people say something and then what? And then what happens? We're going to get ostracized. Like, I don't care. I don't want to be part of a community that I have to be fake for. So, you know, I always tell people, like, we, you know, when you reframe that idea of, like, what people are going to think, do people pay your bills? Do people put money on, you know, put put food on the table? Um, You know, are those the people that you really want to be with anyway? Like, if people love you for who you are, That's the people I want to be with. And I, you know, if they're like, go to therapy, like that's going to help you, then that's who I know is my people. You know, if you're going to say, oh, you're crazy because you're going to therapy, I don't know if I can hang out with you. Well, then you're not my people. So thank you for making space for the people that do care about my well-being genuinely and want to see me thrive. They're the ones that are going to support me in whatever it is that I'm doing that's positive for me. So that's what I got to say about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you have to surround yourself with people of like minds and it will give you a happy life regardless. Um, I just wanted to take a second to acknowledge anybody who's listening right now. If you are having feelings that you cannot define or if you're in an uncomfortable position, you know, take that first step for yourself. Call a mental health expert. There are hotlines as well. We never know what state a person is in when they're listening to something. So I hope that anything that we're talking about right now reaches your heart and your soul and your mind and gives you a little bit of peace. And I hope that you can also receive the same type of benefit from therapy that Rosalia and myself have also um, received and know that you're not alone. This is a journey. It's, it's life. And sometimes we have to separate ourselves and think about ourselves first before, like you mentioned, pouring into other people.
1: Mm-hmm. I also want to just add to that, too, that there's other ways that we can heal. It doesn't have to just be therapy. Like, there's so many different modalities today. I mean, there's hypnotherapy, there is EFT, um, you know, there's energy healers. Like, there's so many different ways that we can kind of build our resilience before we step into that unpacking process. And for a lot of survivors, if they have been through a lot of trauma and they have not dealt with it but it's showing up physically you know like a lot of times we don't realize like how that shows up physically it can be chronic illness it can be you know eating disorders it can be so many different things and sometimes we have to deal with that physical part first and get ourselves resilient enough you know sometimes that can be just learning how to sleep if you're an insomniac and you need rest so that your brain you know can process what you're going to uh, you know embark on Building our resiliency is really important. And so sometimes that can be, you know, just finding someone who can help you learn how to care for yourself. I know that sounds really basic, but like self-care is hard for some people and they don't know how to do it and they don't feel worthy of self-care. And so sometimes that is the first entry point to your healing process. So if you are listening and you you feel like, you know, this is a lot and I don't know if I can do it, you don't have to step into therapy. Sometimes it's an access issue too like if you don't have the funds to get a therapist like there's other ways um you know don't give up on finding that journey for yourself there it doesn't look one way there's lots of different ways to step into it but do something that is going to nourish you in one way shape or form absolutely
0: And, you know, that's the thing, too, especially because it is a cultural thing. It seems like Mujeres Latinas are taught to not worry about themselves and worry about everybody else first. So making sure to find that self-care time and making time for yourself or finding somebody that can help you, I think is absolutely right. Um, You know, if it's one thing that I could take away from our culture, I would take that away because I think we have to put ourselves at the center of our universe all the time. I know it sounds selfish, but it really isn't because you teach the next generation what they're going to accept, you know. And it's not taking away or changing or or not showing love. It's actually showing uh showing yourself more love when you have boundaries.
1: Yes, and I you know I learned something from my kids uh a while back when I think my son was three or something, um maybe he was four, but anyway he was saying, you know, mommy, I love you. And I said, I love you too, you know? And he, he says, do you love, you know, and he asked me like, you know, do you love Max? Do you love Hunter? Do you love daddy? And I said, of course, I love I love everybody. And he goes, do you love yourself? And I was like, yes, I do. He's like, okay, I love myself too. I'm like, rock on. <laughs> I just yeah. like, yeah. And I, I, like, it was the first time that I was like, wait a second, like kids know that. I didn't ever phrase it that way and and it may seem like something just kind of obvious but I don't think we think that way about ourselves and the other day like and I swear like I almost felt embarrassed and I'm going to I'm going to share this at the sake of embarrassing myself but I was uh I was in the kitchen cooking or something and I, and like this thought came to my mind like I really like myself like I really like, I really think I'm cute. Like, I would, I would date myself, like, if I could, you know. Um, and I was like, you know, if I was to meet somebody, like, I would want them to be a lot like me, because I mean, I, I already have met my match. And he and the funny thing is that he is so much like me. And I laugh because it's like, yeah, if I found myself, like, I would think I was cute. And I would think I got stuff going on. And and I was like, is that bad for me to think that about myself? And, and it was like this there was like this wrestling with guilt about the fact that I loved myself. I've come to really embrace who I am and accept me and love me. And I was like, that's weird. That felt weird to have that recognition of myself. And I was like, wow, that's, I think I just like unpacked and like did away with years of cultural, you know, conditioning. And it was really an empowering moment. And that just happened in the kitchen in like the middle of the day. <laughs> it's really cool. That's really cool
0: that you had a chance to, to have a moment like that. Like, I mean, especially with what you're doing for the community. I mean, you have a uh, quote, or I think this is your motto, essentially on your website that says, men the past, change the present, teach the future. Even if you're teaching yourself, you've already done all three of those things in yourself. So I think that's very beautiful to like bring it back full circle and, reflect back and say, you know what,
1: I'm pretty cool. I love myself. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've I've seen other people talk about it. And I think that made me somehow subconsciously feel like I could give myself permission to do that, too. And it'd be like, you know what, like, I have always admired people who could say that. And I always thought oh, I can't say that. But then I finally was able to and it just really felt like liberating, you know, so I encourage people to look at themselves like, you know, I, like love yourself, like hug yourself in the morning, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and go like, you're a badass, like check you out, you know, and like why you would say that to a friend, but you would never say that to yourself, right? And it's like this weird thing that I'm still getting used to. But the more you practice it, the more you recognize that there is like we are all we all have gifts. We all have something that. We contribute in the world, and we should acknowledge ourselves for that, and not be and be unapologetic about it. Because you know, we give other people power to do that when we can do that. You know, it's like that that saying like, until you like you you give permission to other people to shine their light when you shine your own, right? Absolutely.
0: Well, I'm telling you here, I think you're a badass, and that's one of the reasons <laughs> why you're on the podcast. And you know, <laughs> I, that's yes, yes. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that's the whole point, right? It's if other people aren't going to highlight you, you have to highlight yourself. And I believe in that wholeheartedly, especially when the media portrays our community in a very negative light. I think it's even more so a reason why we should be loving ourselves individually and as a collective a lot more because there's so many amazing things. So many amazing women, Latinas, Latinos, Latinx community in general, that. are creating space for us and giving us the ability to say, no, I'm not going to be this or I am going to be this or whatever. And it's like, yeah, we have to celebrate that. Mm -hmm. Even if you're the one looking in the mirror at first, when you first get started as an entrepreneur (laughs) and being able to like self-promote, it's a challenge, but, you know, that's what you have to do. So, Yeah. yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. So you wake up every morning and you're like, I love you, Sal. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well there's I think that well I meditate every morning actually and I think that oh, that's a practice too. of self-love like I think that that's like an honoring of me to my soul um to connect you know with something greater than myself and recognize that I'm part of that greater thing right and it does, I'm not separate from it I I honor source and universe whatever in whatever that is um, and recognizing that I am part of it. So why can't I be as great as that collective beauty that's, you know, that that energizes the world? So when I meditate, I feel like that's me honoring that self, you know, that that soul energy. And it helps me like step into the day feeling like I'm ready to do whatever it is that I need to do with confidence. And so that's probably, you know, sort of that, where, where a lot of that nurturing comes from is just like, I'm going to take care of me first before anyone else today.
0: Are you a podcaster and having trouble trying to get an audience to connect to your podcast? Well, we have a solution. Join the largest global platform in the world for Latinas who podcast, latinapodcasters.com. Add your podcast to the directory and you'll get a lot more listenership to your podcast. For more information, go to latinapodcasters.com. Well, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you really quick, how do you define the word Latina? Hmm.
1: I think to me, uh, the word Latina is all of the different flavors that come from Latin America, whether you've lived in the U.S. forever, um, but you have some kind of connection to it, you know, through some aspect of culture or roots. and you embody and, and honor any element of it. So you don't have to, you know, just like be a Spanish speaker or an English speaker. Like, I think that as long as you identify in some way with your roots or your culture and you celebrate it, that makes you Latina.
0: That's a beautiful definition. Thank you so much for that.
1: Well, now for the
0: lighter part of the podcast episode, Ha Llegado. La hora del empoderamiento. So we are here for Power Hour, and we're going to ask Rosalía some rapid-fire questions, and we'll see if she can answer them as quickly as <laughs> none of the podcast episodes so far. Nobody's been able to just like go off the cusp, but right. if you might be the first one. I have, a, I, I, believe in you.
1: <laughs> are you ready? This. I'm ready. Let's
0: do it. All right, let's go. What was your favorite class in school? Psychology. Are you superstitious? A little bit. What superstitions do you believe in?
1: Numbers. I think just like, you know, seeing double digits, like I always say, okay, what does that mean? So that's probably the biggest.
0: We go to karaoke. What song do you pick?
1: Oh, my God. Probably something from George Michael. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was raised in the 80s and I have like a radio in my head and George Michael music for some reason always comes up. So that's probably the first thing that would come up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Who is your favorite family member?
1: Oh, God, my mom. Oh, mom. OK.
0: What was your favorite meal growing up?
1: Mm, platanos uh, con huevos and uh refried black beans like, oh, mm. yeah,
0: that sounds delicious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If you had to delete three apps from your phone, which ones would you delete?
1: Jeez, <sighs> uh, that's a hard one. I don't even know what apps I have on my phone. Probably um, there's a one called Brain Toss and uh, probably my... Uh, oh, that's hard. I don't know what else. <laughs> I'm like, all of my apps are there for a reason. Um I would maybe say uh, there's one that I use for um, like probably Canva because I don't really, I use it more on desktop and um, there's one for captions. So those are the like the least least ones I use. (laughs) That's a hard one. (laughs) (laughs) Have you completed anything on your bucket list? Uh, probably most of it. Um, I, I mean, I still have a, a long list, but I think I, I try to consciously check off as much as I can.
0: Yeah. What's the name of your favorite cow? <laughs> I oh, throw my it favorite out there, cow. Yeah.
1: She has a farm. With I cows. have two cows. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, my kids named them and probably butter because I love butter anyway. That's
0: awesome. Yeah. I love that name. <laughs> You're hilarious. So cute. Um, <laughs> did you have a nickname growing up and what was it?
1: Oh, I hated it. Do I have to say it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, all right. You, you know, you're funny. Like, I, now I feel embarrassed. Um, all right. It was Charlie, it was Charlie, And I hated it. I didn't really like it. Because um, my first name is Karming. And it's not and it's only because it's uh, the name of a family member that I don't really like. So that's the only reason. But I didn't like Chali. I just was like, no, I'm just, I started calling myself Leah because it's Rosalia. So I was like, Leah is the new name. And uh, I stopped using it. So that's funny. Just brought back by Maurice.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny because um, Ana La Madrid, which was the second episode, her nickname was ojos de mamon and it's still like the funniest <laughs> to me i'm like this girl's hilarious but um funny. but yeah so we all have those nicknames that nobody wants anybody to know and they're like please don't call me that like
1: <laughs> <laughs> now it's on a podcast thank you very much right. you're welcome you heard it here guys the secrets revealed on empodera latina
0: podcast Rosalia, it has been such an awesome honor to have you on. Thank you so much for talking about your story, your journey, how to be a risk taker and your therapy experience. How can people get a hold of you if they're interested in finding out more information about consent parenting or um, how to live and thrive through any difficult experiences that they're having?
1: Well, thank you for having me. Like, I this was such a fun episode, and I know we talked about some heavy topics, but that rapid fire was hilarious. I loved it. Um, Yeah, so if people want to connect, you can go to consentparenting.com. My podcast is about consent.com, and my clothing line is consentwear.com. And uh, all of my resources are there. You can, you know, connect with me also on Instagram about consent and podcast and consent parenting. I'm really active there. So if you want to connect, you can DM me as well. That's awesome.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Empodera Latina podcast with your host, Rita Bautista. I'm hoping that you got a chance to fill yourself up with amazing, empowering stories from Latinas like you and I. For more information on Latina Podcasters Network, go to Latinapodcasters.com. We also have a directory of over 70 podcasts listed there, all made by Latina and Latinx podcasters. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and all your social media platforms. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. And remember, keep it positive or don't keep it at all.